Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Aviva Richmond. Let's listen. Hi, this is Aviva Richmond from Hadar sharing thoughts on Parshat Re'eh. Ritual and Ethics of Desire, Eat, Crave, Love. Parshat Re'eh speaks of desire multiple times. From a religious perspective, we often think of desire in terms of how we may control it or even completely suppress it. But actually, religious life without desire is flat and one-dimensional. Ultimately, the richness and depth of our religious experience hinges on appreciating, valuing, and even cultivating desire. In Parashat Re'eh, we can trace an approach that embraces human craving and desire as a powerful mechanism to fully live a life of mitzvot, meaning and integrity. Parshat Re'eh discusses where, when, and how to respond to the human desire to eat meat. At first glance, it approaches human desire with boundaries and limitations. From chapter 12, verse 14. But only in the place that God will choose, in one of your tribal territories, there you shall sacrifice your burnt offerings, and there you shall observe all that I enjoin upon you. But whenever you desire, you may slaughter and eat meat. In any of your settlements, according to the blessing, that your God has granted you. If the place where God has chosen to establish the divine name is too far for you, you may slaughter any of the cattle or sheep that God gives you, as I have instructed you, and you may eat to your heart's content in your settlements, but make sure that you do not partake of the blood, for the blood is the life, and you must not consume the life with the flesh. The ideal seems to be that whenever someone craved meat, They brought a korban on the altar, bound by all the laws of sacrifices. The bodily desire to eat meat had to be controlled, and it could only be expressed in the limited context of a relationship with God. It also had to be in a relationship with community. The laws of sacrifices strictly required the meat to be consumed within a very short period of time, which meant that the person wealthy enough to freely slaughter an animal would be highly motivated to share of this abundance with those who were less well off. The religious approach to desire and craving here is to restrict it and channel it into contexts dictated by relationship with God and responsibility towards others. Parshad Re'eh goes on to say that when the central sanctuary is too far, the people are allowed to meet in any location, quote, to your heart's desire. Even though this desire cannot be channeled in the ideal way as laid out above, it is permissible as long as it is expressed within other specified parameters. We are not to consume the blood. We may only eat kosher animals. The rabbis also record that we must perform shechita, slaughtering the animal in a specific way. The religious approach to desire here is best characterized as tolerance. Desire can be tolerated as long as it is channeled within specific limitations. Rabbinic terminology makes a clear distinction between meat for a sacred sacrifice, ziv shlamim, and meat for our own desire, basar ta'ava. Even as both are technically permitted, This linguistic distinction drills down on a picture where the axis of the sacred and the axis of human desire are fundamentally at odds. Human desire is not sacred, and it is only acceptable as long as it is properly restrained. This approach assumes that human desire is ultimately a spiritual liability rather than an asset. It is decidedly not a positive part of our religious lives. Like a thing wild and dangerous, it must be restrained and controlled, if not entirely eliminated.
But there is evidence in our Parsha that supports an opposite view. In the very same Parsha, we find the roots of an approach that embraces desire, craving, and even hunger. These can be seen not only as spiritual liabilities to be minimized, but as religious assets to be appreciated and mobilized. In the instruction to bring of one's harvest to the central place of worship, known rabbinically as Ma'aser Sheni, we find that desire is a critical part of performing the mitzvah. Rather than bringing the harvest as food, one may sell the produce, bring the money instead, and purchase new food items there, Devarim 14 says and spend the money on anything you want, cattle, sheep, wine, or other intoxicant, or anything you may desire, and you shall feast there in the presence of your God and rejoice with your household. The mitzvah is not only to buy food to eat in the central place, but to specifically buy food that you crave. It is impossible to fulfill this mitzvah without wanting something and knowing what it is that you desire. This isn't merely about managing an existing desire. This is a vision of religious life that embraces the fact that our bodies have desires, where mitzvot are intertwined with visceral pleasure and passion. In light of this requirement that our desire become part of mitzvot, we can see ways in which later religious sources also elevate craving and desire. One midrash makes a connection between mitzvot about food and an evocative verse from Psalms that puts forth a religious sensibility embedded in our bodies and our desires. To do what pleases you, my God, is my desire. Your teaching is in my guts. From Psalms 40. This language describes a visceral desire for God and God's Torah. It evokes a more integrated approach where our religious lives are animated and fueled by our bodies and our passions. Rather than leaving the body behind, the Torah beckons it forth. Torah cannot live without the body being present. It needs to seep into the body's inmost parts. In Midrash, this verse comes to represent a visceral commitment to both the ethical and ritual aspects of mitzvot. In one version of the Midrash, King David describes his very body as the sacred backstop for living up to his interpersonal responsibilities. He refuses to put anything into his mouth unless it has been tithed. Before he fulfills his own desire and craving, all the necessary gifts must be given to people without their own source of income. A later version of the Midrash expands to associate all 248 negative mitzvot with the limbs of the body. Through mitzvot that apply to each part of the body, we come to feel the words of the psalm, your teaching is in my inmost parts. Through mitzvot that apply to each part of the body, we come to feel the words of the psalm, your teaching is in my inmost parts or my guts. I feel Torah in my stomach by not eating forbidden food. I feel Torah in my skin by refraining from tattoos. I feel part of God's name etched in the shape of my hands as I refrain from corrupt business dealings. The meeting point between the divine presence and human desire comes through each part of our body living up to the integrity that meets vote demand, both ritually and ethically. The Midrash teaches that just as the human body has physical cravings, it also craves to be in deep, responsible relationship with God and others. Mitzvot should be a passionate, embodied pursuit, not a stifling of human passion. 
Our Torah is lived in the body, and the cravings of the body are what bring us closer to God. A similar idea is encapsulated in the verse from Psalms. My soul thirsts for you, God. My flesh yearns for you. One of the most concrete manifestations of a religious ethos that grows from rather than suppresses our visceral cravings emerges in the Talmud's discussion of the mitzvah to eat matzah at the Seder on an empty stomach, so we will crave it. We can see the requirement to cultivate craving for matzah as a paradigm for our relationship with mitzvot. The Passover sacrifice in Egypt was the first mitzvah we had as a people, and reenacting it each year at Seder is an opportunity to reset our fundamental posture towards mitzvot. A visceral craving for matzah, the food, aligns with a visceral craving for the mitzvah of matzah. And this can become a paradigm of craving and passion in our relationship to mitzvot writ large. The Talmud posits that we must cultivate this craving for matzah, the blandest of foods, but not for the meat of the Passover sacrifice, where we might imagine the smell of roasting meat more naturally leading to a sensation of craving. Though it is counterintuitive to crave bland matzah, it is actually quite powerful, as it teaches us to cultivate desire for even the most tasteless mitzvot. Those parts of Torah that feel bland demand our passion and desire all the more so as we strive to better understand and perhaps actively interpret mitzvot so that their beauty and power shines forth. The requirement to crave mitzvot pulls us into the work of making mitzvot as beautiful as they can and should be. In our trek through the parshiot over the past year, we have seen multiple times that our desire plays an important role in our relationship with God and mitzvot. A religious life cannot only be about restricting and suppressing human craving. A religious life hinges on the mechanics of craving. We need to deeply crave what Torah represents, truth, integrity, wholeness, with our entire being. We need to crave our religious pursuit viscerally, even and especially when its appeal is not already obviously manifest in our lives and in our world. The power of our craving can mobilize us to fill that void. As the taste of our craving for truth and integrity turns into vision, and we passionately dedicate ourselves to the work of turning this vision into reality. Shabbat Shalom. We'll close with a melody for that verse from Psalms, Tzama Lechanafshi. We'll close with a melody for Shabbat Zemer that begins, Tzama Lechanafshi, my soul thirsts for or craves God. This episode of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.